The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is the Freeman Report with your host, James Freeman, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Freeman Report on TNT, which is the ripe old age of two years old today. My name is, of course, James Freeman, and as well as wishing TNT a happy second birthday, it is also now a year since I launched the Freeman Report on the station. It is Wednesday, the 10th of January, 2024, and a very, very big happy birthday to TNT and to the Freeman Report, which is going from strength to strength, and long may that continue. So, how are you all today? It's that dark and forbidding time um, of the year here in Europe. The winter festivities are over, the cold has set in, and everybody is bracing themselves for another two months before spring starts to emerge. And yes, I know all of you in Australia are experiencing 28 degrees Celsius at the moment, but I'm not sure which problem is worse. Zero degrees outside, but sat inside round a nice fire, or 28 degrees with 73% humidity, with the air conditioning running at full pelt. If you are one of my Australian audience, what do you reckon? Would you swap the humidity for the cold? And what about all of you in Europe? Would you swap the cold for some heat and humidity? Or do you enjoy this time of year huddled around the fire? Let me know what you think in the live chat. Now, I think I'm happy sat by the fire, um, but I know what I would prefer to be without, and that is this winter illness that has been going around the UK. Lots of people have been suffering, including me. And if I'm honest, it's been a rough few weeks as this illness definitely lingers. Um, I'm only just starting to feel normal after a week of fever, followed by two weeks of incessant coughing and feeling tired and worn out. And so if you're currently feeling under the weather, I feel your pain. But stick in there and relax for the next hour as I've got a great show lined up for you today. June is taking a break this week, but I'm hoping she'll be back next week. So first up today, we'll be exploring one of the most fundamental human rights that we, as living, breathing, sentient beings have. Now, there aren't many things that we truly possess. Material things are just that. They're just stuff. But our physical body is different. It is what gives us life. And in that respect, we are all equal. No person, in my view, has the right to dictate to me what I put in my body, particularly when it comes to medical interventions. History is full of horrific stories about what humans have done to other humans in the name of medical experimentation. And as a result, the idea of informed consent is enshrined in international law. Not that you'd know it, given what has taken place over the past three years, but that is the case nevertheless. The Nuremberg Military Tribunal's decision in the case of the United States versus Karl Brandt and et al. includes what is now called the Nuremberg Code, 
which is a 10-point statement that sets out permissible medical experimentation on human subjects. And informed consent is at the heart of this code. So what is informed consent? Is it just the process of getting somebody to say yes, or is there more to it than that? To explore this question and the whole area, I'll be joined by Miri Finch, who is the editor of Informed Consent Matters. Second up today, I'll be joined by somebody who I think is probably one of the most important campaigners in the UK at the moment. Like many who are pushing back against the encroachment on our freedoms, he is loud, persistent and determined. But what sets him apart I think anyway, um, from many of his peers, is that he manages to bridge the gap between activism and politics. Co-founder of the Together Declaration, Alan Miller, has been very successful in building political relationships and maintaining them while also fighting government and state overreach on issues like the COVID restrictions and lockdowns, 15-minute cities, and the ultra-low emissions zone expansion by the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. I've got bags of respect for Alan and the work that he's doing at the moment, and I think together will be an incredibly important organisation going forward, as we undoubtedly see more attempts to impose restrictive policies that take away our rights and freedoms. In terms of the rest of this week, I've made a few changes so that we can cover two stories. So tomorrow, I'll be welcoming back journalist Peter Sweden to the show to talk all about climate milk, which is already on the shelves in his home country of Norway and will no doubt be in retail outlets in other countries soon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Climate Milk, um, which is one of many different brands, is milk that comes from cows that have been fed chemicals and supplements to suppress farting and burping, all in the name of stopping climate change. Now, this sounds like a funny story on the face of it, but it's not, because some of the chemicals that are being used to feed cattle are pretty toxic and will lead to us consuming them via milk and beef. I'm also in touch with the National Farming Union here in the UK, and so hopefully we're going to get a spokesperson from the NFU on the show to comment as well. Then on Friday, we'll be revisiting the Middle East conflict as I welcome back Ofer Kasif to the Freeman Report. Those of you who tuned in to our last show together will know that Ofer is a member of the Israeli parliament, um, the Knesset. Uh, now, those of you who listened will know that Ofer is an Israeli Jew who has been fighting for peace between Jews and Palestinians for several decades now. Um, he was actually sent to prison in the 80s for refusing to do national service because he refused to support the occupation of Palestine and has continued to fight ever since in that vein. Um, actually, the last time he came on the show um, was just a couple of days after he was banned from the Knesset for 45 days because of the public stance that he took in favour of an immediate ceasefire after the Hamas attacks. Now, this is one of the things that makes Ofer so incredible is because he lost several very close friends in that attack by Hamas. And yet he still stuck to his long held principle 
that Israel's best interests are in securing a long-lasting deal with the Palestinians. So if you're feeling under the weather, whether that's because you're sweltering in the humidity down under or hunkered around the fire here in Europe, go and put a brew on and relax for the next hour. If you want to get in touch, um, as always, then email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And I do encourage you to get involved in the conversation as well. If you want to do that, just head over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Hello, Gemma. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. But I, I, I feel for those cows. I'm going to be listening to that story because <laughs> that's actually no. It's, like, it's really dangerous to suppress a, the body's natural kind of elimination systems. I mean, I read this story a couple of years ago, and on the face of it, everyone was laughing at this story. And I'll, I'll briefly paraphrase it, but this gives you an idea of what the cows are going through. Um, it was it was a girl, young woman, who um, didn't break wind in front of her boyfriend for two years. So she would just hold it in when they were together or she was in his flat or they were, you know, uh, intimate or whatever. She would hold it in. Anyway, she got severe gastrointestinal disorder because she didn't do what her body wanted to do. It needed to do. Um, and it was really, really dangerous. She ended up in hospital. Um, so I feel for these poor cows. They have a terrible, miserable life anyway. I mean, I, I do eat dairy, but I try and eat organic. But to not have to be able to belch and fart, the poor things have got three stomachs to digest the grass. I mean, oh, dear. That's a story that's made me not feel very well at all, actually. Yeah, and it's it's totally bonkers as well. Like all things, um, what happens is you get this kind of assumption that CO2 is, um, you know, is warming the planet and it's bad for the climate. That is kind of almost like what they call settled science. It's not settled science, trust me. And there are a lot of scientists who say, actually, it's a load of rubbish. Um, <laughs> excuse me, it's that cough again. Um, and that, you know, the levels of CO2 that we've got in the atmosphere at the moment are the lowest they've been in hundreds of thousands of years. Um, but anyway, um, a lot of the, all the other scientists, they just assume that's true. And then they come up with all these bonkers ideas. And this is definitely one of them because... You know, just think about it, what they're proposing. They're proposing in start stopping cows farting and burping to change the world's climate or stop it changing. Absolute madness. Absolute madness. Yeah, clown world, clown world. Uh, unfortunately, there's a story today that's broken in the UK that I looked at this story and I thought, is this the world we're living in? Much like that cow story. Is this the world we're really living in? I mean, that's just cruel if that happens. That's cruel. That's properly cruel to the animals. Um, but this story is about child-on-child -child cruelty, and, this, and it's quite a shocking one with the National Police lead that's tackling child abuse, saying it's completely normalised in our culture. And what this is, is that... Um, Half of all rapes committed in the UK, it's a very shocking story, are actually now committed by children against children. Uh, there were uh, more than 6,800 rapes last year, all committed by kids aged between the ages of 10 and 17. Uh, the police are very concerned about this. The National Police Lead Tackling Child Abuse says that sexual violence is completely normalised behaviour now within very young kids and the youngest generation. He says he doesn't want to demonise or criminalise a whole generation, but they're seeing more and more of these crimes being committed, very violent, gender-based 
crimes with young boys, he's saying, being directly influenced by what they're seeing on their smartphones and the access to violent pornography that, that they are getting uncensored and unfiltered. Um, but yeah, overall uh, in 2022, which is where they've got these figures from, uh, the total amount of sex offences, which includes things like making indecent images, sexual assault and rape, uh, totaled nearly 107,000. They're the official figures, the ones that get reported. Um, but more than half of those were committed by children against children. Um, they say it's definitely the the advent of technology. Um, and people have been warning for years, haven't they, James, about, you know, the dangers of smartphones and, 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 and kids having access to things that they shouldn't have, that these kind of warnings have been around for, for a decade now. Um, but now we're seeing the behavior uh, possibly as a result of technology's influence on on shaping young minds. And of course, how do children learn? You learn by imitation. You learn by imitating what you see. And what, what they're seeing is this, this content and they are uh, normalizing it, internalizing it, and then acting it out. Um, not only that, they're saying that they're seeing behavior amongst children now that they would normally only ever see in predatory adult paedophiles, things like grooming, sexual exploitation. Uh, and they say it's a very worrying trend and they they are at a loss uh, at the moment of how to stop it. One would be, you know, a better intervention on, on smart technology. Don't give kids smartphones at all. I think we've gone way beyond that. Um, uh, but yeah, they're saying it, it is technology. It's the devices in kids' pockets. It's what they're seeing and then going out to act out on in the real world. Quite shocking though, statistics, more than half children aged between 10 and 17 committing those crimes on other children. Yeah, this is shocking. And it is something obviously that, you know, I've got my eye on as well, because um, my my two are 10 and 14. So they are at that age. Um, well, 11 and 14, actually, I should say. Um, she was 11 just before Christmas. Um, both of them have got phones um but to be honest with you i mean my 11 year old only got, just got a phone um and it's a pretty basic one um you know and i have you know as parents we have um fretted over whether they should have smartphones at all but um it does mean that they get excluded if they don't have them because all of their friends have got them um you know they're on whatsapp they can they're organizing days out evenings out or trips out and sleepovers and that kind of thing so it does mean they end up being excluded. But um, we did put an age limit on ours at 11. And we also do monitor what they're up to. So I've got my I've got their passwords of all of their apps. Um, and we do from time to time go through them. The other thing they're not allowed to do is just have their um, iPhones and their devices um, in their bedrooms overnight. Um, they have to put them in our room um, uh, early in the evening after tea. Um, but yeah, this is something that's very worrying. I do worry, though, that this issue is going to be used by the government as um, another bit of evidence for why we need digital ID, when in fact, actually, there was a good scheme that the government was proposing um, a few years back, whereby um, you could go into a local um, store, you know, just so a liquor store or a grocery store. And you would be able to present your evidence, um, your your um, ID, prove you're 18, and then you would get this um, access code, um, which would mean then you could actually, if you wanted to go on porn sites, for example, you could do all of that. So all of the adult stuff, which we want to restrict from children, but the government um, didn't didn't go with it; they just dropped with it. Um, so I do worry about access to porn because it's just it's just one click away. 
um basically i mean we we you know we've got all the filters and stuff um and the restrictions put on google on my on my children's devices but you know i'm sure that if they were really um determined to it wouldn't take them that long to circumvent them um so it is a worry i don't know what we do about it at the moment but um digital id is definitely not the answer because i think that would just be a trojan horse yeah well of course this will be something that's used uh, to bring in more online restrictions of course how could it not look at those figures they're absolutely awful but the thing is you know, you're a responsible parent that's fantastic but it doesn't yeah. you can police your kids phones but they can watch their friends phones if they and if their friends have not got as good parents when it comes to restricting what they see then all it is is just we'll take a look at my phone look at what's on here um that's where the 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 danger is and this unrestrictedness of it i don't want any censorship in terms of what we see in terms of freedom of information but uh, kids having access to violent pornography I don't want to see that either. So it's how do we find the solution and the balance? Because um, these are young minds that are getting warped and young boys thinking that violence against girls is somehow normal and, and something yeah. that is completely acceptable. It's not because um, these boys turn into men. We have to remember that they turn yeah. into grown, strong men. And very, very quickly before we go, because we've got to go to the break, um, I think, you know, the I mean, and, and, and mostly I think the content that I worry about is pornography a lot of the other stuff i mean my kids i don't think would be interested in violence and all of that but the, the pornography is what worries me i think the government should turn around to the porn industry and say look you're making billions and billions a year you solve this problem otherwise um you know we're going to take you to court i think they sh they're the ones producing the content and they're the ones pushing it online i think they should be responsible um for policing this and ensuring that um, youngsters are not able to get onto their um, sites because you don't even need to sign in these days. You can just watch, you know, a, a couple of clicks and you can be watching porn on, on these sites for free, um, which is totally ridiculous, I think. Right, okay, thank you very much um, for that very, very relevant and topical story there, Gemma. Um, to the rest of you, um, stay tuned because after this short break, we're going to be talking all about informed consent, which, like I said, I think is one of the most important rights that we have as human beings. So stay tuned for that in just a moment. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. 
Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Right. Like I said in the introduction, I think informed consent, and particularly when it comes to bodily autonomy, is one of our most fundamental rights. Um, You know, I absolutely determine that nobody will dictate to me what I'm allowed to put into my body, Um, whether that's illicit drugs or whether um, that's actually saying no to government mandates about medical intervention. So I'm actually delighted um, to be welcoming Miri Finch to the Freeman Report today to talk all about informed consent. Hello, Miri. Hi, James. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Um, obviously, we spoke on the phone last night, and I was really interested. You've got a really interesting backstory in terms of how you got involved um, with all of this, because you went to the university. Um, you studied in the university in the US, didn't you? Tell us all about that and what happened to you there. Okay, so um, I went to uh, do uh, a year abroad at the State University of New York um, in 2013. And uh, they had requested my childhood vaccination records uh, to be sent to them. I did send them um, and I'd had all the the, the so-called normal ones as a baby. Um, but when I'd been enrolled for a couple of weeks, I was summoned very dramatically to the medical centre because they told me that I hadn't had, quote unquote, enough measles vaccinations. And to cut a long story short, they told me they would not only kick me out of the university if I didn't have another one, but they'd that would um, invalidate my student visa. So I'd actually be deported from the country as well. Um, so I challenged this because I'd started to uh, get interested in things like vaccine safety by that point. And uh, I asked for a blood test instead to check if I had uh, antibody titers, which uh, supposedly create immunity. But that's that's all a vaccine can do. It can create the antibodies. So I said, you know, if I have these antibodies, there's no point in me having the vaccine. Um, and they said to me, you know, it would be easier just to have the vaccine. And I thought, (laughs) (laughs) for who, first of all? And when is it easier to have an invasive, uh, risky medical procedure that you don't need than a simple blood test? Um, And they also told me that the vaccine would be free, but if I wanted a blood test, I'd have to pay for it. Um, So I did pay for the blood test and I did have these titers. So they reluctantly agreed that I didn't have to have this injection, but I thought I'd have to fight so hard to protect my rights not to have it. There's obviously a much deeper rabbit hole going on here, which is when I started to... um, yeah, I think really, really fall down the rabbit hole. And my experiences at that university led to me creating um, a resource informing students about vaccines, because when I looked into vaccine safety, I found that all of the resources were really aimed at parents and there weren't much, uh, there wasn't much out there aimed at younger people. So I started a resource called uh, STRIVE, which is an acronym uh, for the Student and Teacher Research Initiative for Vaccine Education, uh, just giving an overview and um, you know medical facts about vaccines, their legal rights to decline them. Um, that was in 2015. So uh, I focused most of my activism on vaccines up until 2020 when uh, COVID joined us. And then the focus of what I was doing changed um, more, as you say, to informed consent. And I started a new website uh, with my husband, Mark, in 2021 called Informed Consent Matters. So that's informedconsentmatters.co.uk. I'm um, really focusing on the lack of informed consent where it came to all the uh, COVID measures, including lockdowns, masks, tests, and of course, vaccines. Yeah, now, um, Mary, we'll get into what informed, what conformed consent is in a moment, because, you know, I think um, 
a lot of people just think it's about getting somebody to say yes to something, but there's a lot more to it um, than that, isn't there? Um, but before we do that, what did you think when the pan or the pandemic, um, as, as I <laughs> as I think it was, um, what did you think when that came along, particularly when they started talking about vaccines? Obviously, given your experience, what what did you make at that point? Well, um, I thought from the beginning that it was um, that it was uh, a pandemic, as you say, and uh, you know. Um, a hoax and an, an illusion um and uh funnily enough um i had actually made a facebook post about a year before uh the pandemic started um about the film contagion uh now it during the covid chapter matt hancock did say that the uk had based their pandemic response on this fictional film and when i watched um contagion in early 2019 i did uh i made this post i think they're telling us something i think that they're planning uh, a fake pandemic and they're going to use us that to bully us into vaccines so when covid came along i thought oh right here it is so you know from the beginning i thought this is a power grab and this is about um control and forced vaccination and and you know that there's not a real uh deadly plague out there um so yeah right from the start uh uh, I thought we need to challenge this at every level because this is just completely illegitimate. Yeah, fantastic. And that's a brilliant backstory, um, Miri. It does give you a lot of credibility, the fact that you, uh, <clears throat> you know, you came up against that and you fought back and you, you know, you won. Um, so good on you um, for doing that. And Thank good you. on you for, for, for providing all these resources, which I think are so important, um, particularly, um, I think, if we see governments ever trying to mandate these medicines again. Right, Mary, we're going to take a quick break now for, for the news headlines, um, but we'll be back after this short break where we can talk all about what actual informed consent is, because like I said, there's a lot to, more to it than simply just trying to get people to say yes um, to a medical um, intervention. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. What do they want? Exciting news. Brace yourself. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has called for urgent action to be taken to stop Democrats from stealing the upcoming presidential election. Just when we thought we had seen the last of COVID-19, authorities in Australia are once again sounding the alarm. And America's first mission to the moon in more than 50 years has failed after its unmanned spacecraft suffered a fuel leak, making it impossible to carry out a soft landing on the lunar surface. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Right, Namiri, let's dive straight into the detail. Tell us what informed consent is. Okay, well, um, informed consent has a specific legal definition in medicine, um, which is that before um, a patient can uh, give valid consent, they have to be informed of all material risks of a treatment. And a material risk is defined as a risk to which any reasonable person in the patient's position would attach significance. So it's not determined by a risk being common or, or rare, because obviously, even if a risk is rare, to the people who have that risk, it's very significant. So a doctor or a nurse, whoever is applying um, a vaccination or any other medical treatment is obliged to tell the patients of all material risks. Now, when it comes to things like uh, 
vaccines generally and the COVID vaccines in particular, the medical profession does not do this. It completely flouts its obligations. And so when people go in and they're told things like, oh, you might have a bit of pain around the injection site, you might have a bit of a fever, then they're not giving informed consent because those are not all the material risks. Um, And this can equally be applied to things like mask wearing. Um, You know, there are an uh, array of risks, some less severe, some very severe. Uh, testing uh, again and uh, what we see in all of these protocols associated with uh, COVID is that people were not being uh, told risk factors and so any consent they gave uh, was not legally or morally valid so the informed consent resource really exists to tell people the full facts before they offer their consent. Yeah, now there's this other thing um, that I know a lot of um, leading doctors and experts have talked about and that is how the information was presented as well because of course you know we all heard how the vaccines were totally safe and effective and in fact they were so effective i mean some people's doctors on tv were saying they were 100 percent effective but of course you know a lot of the published material was saying they were 90 percent effective now mm-hmm. we know now that what they were actually talking about was actual relative um effectiveness not absolute um, and there's been a lot made of this because it is very misleading, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And that's a very uh, sly and clever little trick that they uh, use. They talk in terms of uh, relative risk reduction rather than absolute risk reduction. They also do this with other vaccines. They do it with the children's flu nasal spray as well, um, with with absolute risk reduction for the children's flu nasal spray is less than 1%. Um, so uh, they, they have... Um, an array of these kind of clever tricks. And in fact, one of Informed Consent Matters' recent campaigns, we wrote to the local school immunizations team who are giving out the flu vaccine in all our local schools. And we asked them probably seven or eight times, what is the absolute risk reduction of the flu spray? And they've, they've declined to answer. They've engaged in correspondence with us, but they've just you know ignored the question and tried to blind us with science, but they won't actually answer. Yeah, and this is this is really bad, isn't it? Because we're not just talking about a few percentage points difference. We're talking about the fact that, you know, in terms of in relative terms, you can you can kind of claim that these vaccines or so-called vaccines, I wouldn't call them vaccines, but these new medicines are 90 percent effective. But when you actually look at the absolute um, risk reduction, quite often it's about a percent. So in terms of your actual, you know, how much they actually um, sort of prevent you from catching um, uh, whatever it is, whether it's COVID or or, or flu or whatever, it's actually a very, very small percentage. And the reason this is important is because I think people's decisions would be very, very different um, when measuring up, particularly when we've got experimental new um, medications like the mRNA technology. Now, Miri, um, one of the questions that always comes across my mind is, Firstly, my understanding, and um, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me whether I'm um, I'm right or wrong on this, but my understanding is that um, you you know informed consent is actually enshrined in international law. Um, that's my first question: is am I correct on that? And I would point to the Nuremberg Code. Um, secondly, if it if that is the case, how come governments have been able to get away with what they have over the last four years? Um, in many countries, of course, we've seen. You know, people being threatened with losing their jobs, um, not being able to travel, not being able to go to supermarkets if they didn't take this experimental new vaccine. Um, what are your thoughts on this? 
Well, uh, yeah, I believe you're absolutely correct. That is enshrined in international law, both the Nuremberg Code and um, the UNESCO Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights. So what I found, so um, I've got, an, uh, as well as informed consent, I've got um, a personal website, uh, which is miriaf.co.uk, and I've done a number of letter templates on there because what I found is uh, there's a lot of game playing going on. So for instance, uh, people would say, you know, you have to wear a mask, it's mandatory, but mandatory is, is not the same as legal requirement. Um, so what I found is that when you actually challenge people uh, with the law, make it clear to them that you know what the law is, they'd often back right down. And what a lot of these, um, you know, governmental agencies and employers and supermarkets were playing on is, uh, people's ignorance of the law and their ignorance of their rights. So for instance, people thought they had to wear a mask. Of course they didn't. And if anyone challenged them, they'd just say, I'm exempt. And then people would start to say, well, you need a doctor's note. You don't, you know, I think um, there is a lot of intentional ignorance and confusion about the law sewn into the population. Um, and they believe that words like, you know, mandatory, requirement, compulsory mean it's a legal obligation and they actually don't. So that is how I think they got away with it. But what about the actual mandates? And we did actually see, I mean, I think the UK, um, just to say first up, it actually got away quite lightly compared to a lot of other countries where, like I said, you know, lots of people lost their jobs um, because they didn't get the vaccine. Um, in the UK, I think it was only the care workers, wasn't it? And it was only for a very short period of time. Um, but what what is the law around that in the UK? How were the UK government able to even do that within the care sector given the fact that um, informed consent is enshrined in, well, it, I mean, you know, it's one of the first things you declare as a doctor, isn't it? First do no harm and, you know, and, um, and, and, and putting informed consent at the heart of the doctor-patient relationship. Yeah, um, well, I think there was, a, there was a lot of illegality going on, but also, as I understand it, uh, the Coronavirus Act, uh, gave government these tyrannical new powers where in some cases they were able not to recognize really long-standing and robust laws. So I think we were in a bit of a lawless wild west for a while there. Um, uh, and as you say, it was even worse in some countries. Um, uh, the Coronavirus Act hasn't come to an end now. Um, so, uh, you know, the rule of law, uh, ought to protect us, but whether if they, uh, try and play pandemic again and they bring in something like that again, it remains to be seen. And do you think the government is planning that? Because during the, the the COVID period, we heard from quite a few Tory MPs about changing um, the UK constitution. And part of that actually um, taking away kind of some of our rights to make us responsible for the common good. And obviously that was code for, you know, you take this vaccine because you're there, you're supposed to protect everyone else around you. Do you think that's gone away now, that threat, or do you think that is still lurking? Um, I think it's lurking. I think they, you know, they'd absolutely love to have that degree of tyranny, but I think that they will face much more resistance if they try that again, because I think the COVID chapter was such a shock to so many people. They kind of grabbed it in the headlights and weren't sure what to do. But we've learned so much from that test run um, that I think if they, they try it again, uh, the, the resistance will be much more robust. It will be much more well informed um, and it will be much more able to effectively fight back. So I'm quite confident that, you know, if they try this again, we will fight back and we will win. Fantastic. And obviously, you're, that's exactly what you're doing with all of your resources. So, um, Miri, where do people go if they want to find out more about informed consent um, to find these letters, these letter templates and all the other resources that you provide? 
Okay, so the Informed Consent Matters website is informedconsentmatters.co.uk. Um, my personal website, or I write social commentary, and also there's quite a number of letter templates, is miriaf.co.uk. Fantastic. Miri Finch, everybody. And Miri, by the way, I absolutely love your hat. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we'll have to get you back on the show um, again at some point. Um, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, Mary Finch, thank you very much. Thank you, James. Right. OK, we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, um, we're going to have one of, like I said in the introduction, one of uh, who I think is one of the most important campaigners in the UK at the moment because of his ability not only just to campaign and be an activist, but also to, to retain and um, manage um, links with politicians in government. He is Alan Miller, and he did co-found the Together Declaration. So he's going to be on just in a moment. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to healthcare, education, life skills, and more, so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right. Well, I'm delighted to be welcoming my next guest. It is his first appearance on the Freeman Report, although we do know each other well. Um, welcome to the Freeman Report, Alan. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me here. Good to be here. Yeah, no, it's great um, to get you on the show. Um, obviously, you know, I've been following together for a long time. I think it's a great organisation. And as I said in my introduction, I think um, probably you're one of the most important campaigners, I think, in the UK at the moment because of your ability not just to be a great activist and campaigner, but also to actually bridge that gap between activism and politics and maintaining them political relationships, which you do so well. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the show. Um, Alan, to those of them um, watching who have never heard of Together, tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about the organisation and why you co-founded it. Yeah, well, basically, we came out of, we were born... Uh, when uh, Boris Johnson, if anyone remembers who he is still, uh, told us that we were going to have Freedom Day. Uh, and we're going to have Freedom Day, but in the same paragraph, in the same almost sentence, he said, and guess what? We're going to have vaccine passports and all sorts of other things. And I had been involved in running a campaign called Open For All, where my background in hospitality uh, had meant that I'd got over a thousand venues to say that they would not have 
show me your papers, vaccine passports in any venues around the UK. I'd also work with some other people. Uh, I'd set some stuff up. Um, but basically, I spoke to a number of people when this happened on this day, Freedom Day, uh, and said they're just ignoring us and they're treating us with contempt. And no one, not even people with really high profiles, are really breaking through. And why don't we all get together and see if we can, across the board, have different campaigners, people of faith, businesses, uh, non-governmental people, and citizens, crucially citizens, uh, a real broad mix of people from all different backgrounds who just thought, for whatever reason, whatever their views were on vaccines, whatever their views were on COVID, we should be able to make decisions ourselves uh, we should have transparency uh, and all of that. So it's really born out of the fact that we'd had all these lockdowns, we'd had all these measures, people have been challenging things, and we had recognised they're just pouring scorn and contempt on us and that we needed to get the public to have a voice within it all. And so that led to creating the Together Declaration, which was a declaration that said we need to be able to, you know, many of our forefathers fought for our freedoms. They fought, they, they, they risked themselves and their lives uh, their reputations, their names, and physically, uh, and that these freedoms are just cannot just be snubbed away, uh, and we need to uh, address things in a in a free society in a rational way with costs and benefits. And you need to engage the public. All things that would have seemed very very ordinary and probably just quite a bit dull in the past, but all of a sudden became really quite radical cries. Uh, and so we launched it together declaration. We got several hundred thousand signatories. Uh, who are all saying we're not we do not think there should be vaccine passports uh we uh are opposed to those measures we think that they're just imposing lockdowns is a problem and <clears throat> alongside that we did a campaign around vaccine mandates and that was to uh, insist and impose that vaccine to keep your job you have to have a vaccine around nhs staff primarily it already happened in the care sector and so we when went on and we presented that to parliament uh, and to others, but we kind of made a very concerted effort to make sure that the public, the ordinary people up and down the country would have their voices heard and to target the media because we were, James, at the time, you remember, we, we were quite furious that all these anti-lockdown protests and demos were going on and they'd say like a few hundred people go, we like be hundreds of thousands of people there. But one of the things we recognised is we'd have, you know, I was like, well, we we got to bear a little bit of responsibility. We have to go and get the press. We have to show them and tell them. And whilst they should be doing that in a free society, they shouldn't just be sitting there as lapdogs at the press launches, right? And but so we started doing a lot of that, inviting the press down, and we got various people. We got the Express and the Mail, and then others, Telegraph. Eventually, we got a lot of people to start writing, and then in the end, we got. You know, everybody, all the mainstream broadcasts, we were outside the BBC, we've got the BBC, Sky, ITV, all featuring, because we had run a campaign uh, featuring NHS frontline staff who for a year, as we know, James, right, they, they'd worked in the frontline. And then they were being told they could lose their job if they hadn't didn't get something they didn't want to get, right? And so we did this big campaign. We did a video, series of videos with them. And obviously with the public, that's a hearts and minds thing because you're like, well, these people, we've been told to clap for them before. Now they're having their livelihoods risk. We've already lost loads of care workers, over 40,000 people. What is going on? And that was the standoff. Uh, we presented it to government. There was a split in the government. We got some MPs in the Conservative government to come on sides, people like Steve Baker and Mark Harper and others, uh, and uh, people like Graham Brady, who bravely backed us uh, at the time. And, you know, it was a very shrill landscape. 
And we try to get cross party. And this is the thing about together as well, is that there are people that have been involved in uh, sort of from the left, might have been Labour or Conservatives. And then many people who've never been or who have been in that and they're very disgruntled, they're politically homeless. And it's a broad church, right? Some people, um, you know, some people are like, well, you know, you need to be clearer about what you say about vaccines. But at the time in particular, now things have moved on. We've done some more things on that. But what we've tried to do is say, look, front and centre, this should be about the principles of the six points we posted from the very beginning, which was, you know, freedom of conscience, freedom of decision making about what we do with our own bodies, weighing up risks ourselves for what we do things, not having things imposed lockdowns right just imposed that had never been done before no parliamentary scrutiny no discussion no engagement you know suspending parliament effectively um free speech the censorship that was going on that we all recognized the the, the shadow banning and we knew there essentially before the stuff about the rapid response unit the dcms all these uh kind of really dystopian orwellian sounding groups that were like targeting citizens journalists medics all these things were going on so these principles were part of our foundation of together and actually activating our you know grassroots around locally regionally nationally getting people to go to hospitals to universities you know say do you want to like be part of this do you think the public support nhs staff you know getting them to sign the petition getting them to give out flyers and leaflets getting them to take an active stance and not just say we're going to let these guys do this to us as though we're passive but to say how do we get the public how do we get us back at the front and center of things and make sure our voices are heard together yeah well alan listen congratulations on all the achievements that you've made i really do think that um, we, you know, it would have been a very different picture had Duquette together um, and the Together Declaration not been fighting these causes. I think it would have been a much harder battle and we might have even had different outcomes. Um, so, yeah, congratulations for that. Now, one question I always um, ask myself, and I, I know a lot of other people are interested as well. You're you're very close to this and you've been you've obviously followed um, the you know, the after the restrictions, the masks, the lockdowns, etc. You followed that very, very closely. If the government tried to do that today, what do you think um, the public reaction would be? I think in Britain and obviously it varies in different countries, you know, in the different nations in Britain. But I think in Britain generally, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are, uh, firstly, there's a very specific minority that are vocal and active that are like, you have got to be joking, not on your nearly never. I also know that in London and some other cities, right, the, the, the whole mask thing never flew. There are particular pockets in areas where people, and these terms aren't that helpful sometimes, but so, you know, there are some like that like to virtue signal and say, I'm really being considerate and you guys are being irresponsible. But in some pockets in some areas where we see some things around other areas, they call it the woke thing, they call but you know, there are people who like to virtue signal a bit and say, we're being really responsible, diligent. But I think some of them actually believe they were. This is the issue about how divided people got. But uh, you know, now, it's only to yesterday and today there are talks of A and E guy saying, "Oh, you must wear masks." It's not going to fly, right? I think so many studies. The fact that the UK HSA 
key person said actually not only were masks not necessary they could have been much more problematic because they've actually give people a full sense of security they just don't work and we shouldn't do it we made mistakes they didn't make mistakes it was clear and laura dodds was very good in the book and her book on this but they were a nudge and a fear tactic to instill fear to take the other measures more seriously they were divisive they never had any credibility but particularly now they don't now the question of lockdowns and other things the problem with the covid inquiry of course is that this sham of an inquiry that doesn't want to assess the very very key core fundamental principle should we have had a lockdown or not so all the other stuff is peripheral somewhat right no it's not peripheral it's very important stuff that's being discussed but if you don't address that question why we have had an unprecedented measure that was only used in mexico once before in a small area and china basically implemented that all of a sudden everyone's falling over and starts doing that um has detrimental consequences that many warned about everything from the excess deaths that we're now seeing were around a whole range of things, not just one thing, right? We obviously, we all said at the time, cancer, heart disease, strokes, um, all the other things that would be uh, amplified, but also all the, all the measures that have not been assessed, dental, there's obviously the question about vaccine harms and impacts, but then there's all the other measures in the economy and all of that. If those things are not addressed, then it's a sham. And, and so I think the but the problem is, right, and here's the issue, James, why shows like yours are really important. And I see that on other issues, you get people with competing views together. We need to get the public um, engaged in these conversations. You know, I remember going to um, a Tory party conference outside, the Labour party conference outside the Tory. In fact, it was the Tory vote for the, um, for the, for the new prime minister, right? And there were people that were in the line going in there to the members and some some were together members as it as it happens and some weren't. but i was saying to people you know how much do you think the impacts on the economy of lockdown they're like oh didn't that that's all over isn't it and i'm like no not so much together members but others and i'm like you do it do people not realize that we spent all this money and that we've kind of shut down society and that jobs tens of thousands of business I mean, over fifteen thousand hospitality hospitality businesses were lost right that's just in that arena forget all the printing of money and the spending and all the ppe so we have this situation that the hearts and minds conversation and the ability to engage with our friends neighbors colleagues uh, is is crucial and um, we haven't done a good enough job at it right we try hard we've got to get better and that's something i think and i know a lot of people in the freedom movement love your show i really want to really stress this whenever i think of it i'm always very conscious that some people like to just call people names right or say they're sheep and stupid but we've got to do a much better job at talking to our friends colleagues and neighbors and getting them engaged and getting them on side and explaining things and winning these arguments particularly when they seem like oh that's just in the past now now it's the you know the the, the net now it's the environment we're all going to die of heat well you know we need to be able to do this better all of us yeah absolutely and i think you know that's that's why i've got immense respect for you um alan because you're it's one of your skills is be, to be able to do that i'm more of a bull in a china shop um i get very very angry and i rush at things um and i guess we probably need a, a few people like me as well um but we definitely need people like you who um can take a very calm collected and um, a very kind of looking at the big picture approach and making sure that the people on the other side we try and draw them in as well and include them as part of the conversation and this is why i feel and i believe that together has been such a success because of the approach that you've taken now i don't want to talk about lockdowns and covid and all that for uh, the whole of the show so 
There are a number of incredibly important campaigns ongoing at the moment. Obviously, we've got the um, expansion of the ultra-low emission zone in London. That is a campaign that's ongoing, but also 15-minute cities. What would you say, Alan, for 2024, do you think is the most important issue that you'll be fighting? Uh, I think, and uh, thanks for the words, James, that's very much appreciated. I think the, <clears throat> the No to Net Zero campaign with a pledge to get every MP and councillor to sign that, which every one of your viewers who are in the UK can do. And people say, well, what does it matter? You get them. Well, it matters a lot because having transparency around net zero and a few tiny few green billionaires who are underwriting uh, the research or fake organisations, they're not grassroots organisations like we are with, you know, thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of signatures, tens of thousands, we've got members. They are fake organizations that are funded by a few green billionaires. You can see our report at togetherdeclaration.org with Ben Pyle, basically outlining how UK 100 and uh, a few other groups, groups like UK, uh, for, groups like C40 Cities that Sadiq Khan is the chair of internationally, are all undemocratically, not in a, in a democratic forum, not being engaged and having the ideas checked, imposing all these measures. Carlos Marino has a discussion in architecture and urban studies about 15-minute cities. Fine. But then you have emergency traffic orders. I know we don't want to talk about lockdown, but all these things really started being implemented en masse during lockdowns, right? People thought, oh, they're not. Well, what is that? It's just the roads are closed a bit with some nice trees. They'll probably go away afterwards, right? All of a sudden, lo and behold, cameras are up. We're being fined. Measures are in place. Then we're told 15, 20 minute neighbourhoods. The Guardian's got a piece out today. So it was all conspiracies. It's outrageous. Now the Department for Transport is not funding it anymore. Good. Those posh boys with their toys, they don't like it when it goes the other way. But by the way, they call us all names. But actually, these are decent British people up and down the country challenging in cities like Oxford, in, in Bristol, in Edinburgh, uh, you know, Warrington had them kicked out all around the country, right? The people are standing together. I think in the election year, net zero goes to the core of it. We've already seen the Conservatives wobbling on it. Some have said we have to go back on it. For Labour, it's a problem. We've seen the GMB and other unions saying this is working people. David Lammy might say, get on the train, bring your tools. But most people understand that if you're a chippy or a Sparks or a delivery van person or disabled, or if you want to get to see your family and friends, this whole thing of contempt, get rid of the cars, you've all just got to use public transport. By the way, we haven't really sorted out public transport. And by the way, we're not really doing local services. So we're focusing on getting the public engaged in this. I think there's a huge opportunity where millions are politically homeless. Many people are standing independent. We'll be talking more about that as we go along. But the key thing is around net zero and about transparency and about saying, how do we have productivity growth, wealth creation for everyone? How can we have really dynamic companies with innovation? How can people get paid better, more house building, all of these things? It's why we've got a cabinet as well. And we're going to be focusing on getting the public to say, whoever goes up, and this is important, James, because everyone's going to say, oh, vote for this, vote. whoever stands, whoever goes up, we need to get all of ourselves locally, regionally and nationally, holding them accountable, even if together was to stand and we're not, but even whoever goes in there, we need a strong public that's going to say, hold on a minute, you said you're going to do that and can pull them back and dispense with them. We've got to get our muscles strong again. We haven't had it for 30 years, really, in this country. Yeah, and um, we've, we've only got about um, just over a minute left. So um, if you have to keep this brief, but why do you think these billionaires are funding these projects? Is this to do with ESG and other benefits um, that come to them? Or do you think they actually believe um, in this climate, what I would term climate nonsense? 
Yeah, I do. I think that when you get an enormous amount of money, it's a bit like you've been schooled in certain ideas. You believe this to be the case. You become a zealot somewhat. Some of them are zealots. They're doing this. And they, they've got this mission. Uh, the, the thing is, that's fine if they want to do that. But we need to be able to have a public debate and it has to be open. And it can't like mean no one gets published and no one gets underwritten and people get called names and shut down. So we need to fight for our freedom together. Thank you, James, for having me on the show. And thank you also for being a keen advocate of freedom. Thank you very much, Alan Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Alan, very, very quickly, where do people go to support Together Declaration? I know that you can sign up to become a member, can't you? Yes, you can. You go to togetherdeclaration.org uh, and on that's uh, online. You can go to at TogetherDeck on Twitter. Thanks, James. Yeah, brilliant. And I definitely encourage everybody who's watching in the UK, go to the together.org site and do um, take out a monthly subscription, even if that's just a couple of pounds. Right, that's it for today, but make sure you join again tomorrow.